What's up, Second Press? My name is Boone. I'm, I'm bringing y'all greetings all the way from Ferguson, Missouri, from the bridge, North County, a multi-ethnic church plant that I am one of the pastors of, along with my beautiful bride, my wife, uh, my baby mama, my all of that, Tequila Boone of 22 years of marriage, 42 years of friendship. I was grateful to be with you all. You guys have been so hospitable and so kind to us over these last couple of days. And George, thank you so much for trusting me. Thank you so much for being a friend, for being a trusted mentor and voice. And thank you for inviting me so that I could witness the work that the Lord is doing here in Memphis and beyond through Second Press. And grateful for me to be having this opportunity to be participating in that work and to be a part of this history. All right, family, I want to start off by asking just a few questions. I was going to ask for just a little bit of class participation. The first question is an easy one. This is one I think we're all going to get it. What is the worst NFL football team in America? Okay, 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 okay. Y'all don't sound too convinced. How about the worst NFL football team fan base? Yeah, I'm a Cowboy fan. (laughs) But I love y'all, though. I love y'all. I love y'all. I love y'all. Diehard Cowboy fan. Who's the best rapper? Jay-Z, Biggie, Nas, Tupac. Okay, all right, okay. Okay, who's, who's the biggest and best pop star then? Taylor Swift, yeah. <laughs> I figured I'd get a Taylor Swift out of that song, by the way. <laughs> Here she dates a football player now. Make, he's making her famous is what I'm hearing. Okay, pizza, thin crust or thick crust? Okay, okay, all right. Do sugar go on grits? It depends. For breakfast, maybe, but not for dinner. I don't know. Somebody needs me. I hope nobody up here was kneeling putting sugar on grits. I I don't know if I can trust you if you're putting sugar on grits. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a series of questions. These are going to get a little bit serious. So be patient with me. Be kind to me. I want to ask you a question. And we're going to ask, who does this identify? I'm going to list some, 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 some names and some things, and you tell me who this identifies. Okay, y'all ready? They eat too much. Drink too much. Is addicted to porn. Racist, sexist, homophobic, power hungry, warmongers, adulterers, cheaters, liars, 
easily offended, always offended, easily agitated, always agitated, easily angered, always angry, judgmental, manipulative, controlling, untrustworthy. Okay, I've, I've said enough. You guys aren't participating. Well, I've, I've listed like, I'm running out of, of things to say. Well, now, all of those names, who does that describe? A group of people. Unfortunately, the truth to the answer of that question is that is how the watching world sees those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus. Unfortunately, the watching world looks at those who claim to be followers of the greatest person to have ever lived, the most generous person to have ever lived, the most sacrificial person to have ever lived. Unfortunately, the world sees those of us who identify with him as fill in the blank. As we think about being a people, a called out people, a chosen people, as we think about being a people, a people that has been forgiven, a people that has been loved, a people that has been accepted by God's free grace, we ought to be taken seriously initiatives, campaigns, slogans, series around anything that points us toward gospel priorities. And so for the rest of the time I got, I'm only going to be up here for a few more moments. I want to challenge us. Together, I want to challenge myself in light of a world that's watching in light of a world that has absolutely no confidence in the church and we've lost all sense of credibility. As one theologian says, we're now playing, we're no longer playing on home field advantage. I want us to be a people that actually look like, smell like, and sound like a person that professes to be a follower of Jesus. All right, now let me get, take three seconds to exhale. Y'all all right? We okay, fam? We all right? All right, I know that was rough. Okay. So the question I want to ask, and I just have two observations I want to make from this question before I read this, these verses in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through, through uh, 22. I want to ask this question. How can we truly Embrace Jesus' teachings and reflect his character in our lives. I know it's a big question. I know it's a long question. But how can we embrace Jesus' teaching and reflect his character in our lives? So that when the world that watches sees us in our imperfection. In our brokenness, as we struggle. But when the world sees us, they get a glimpse 
of Jesus. Luke wrote to this Jewish and Gentile group of believers, and this is what he wrote, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses, I'm just reading a few verses, verses 18 through 22, I believe it's on page 859 in the Pew Bibles. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he wrote the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's? Son. And so really quickly, so we can make it out of here on time, I want to restate that question. How can we embrace Jesus' teaching and mirror and reflect the character, his character in our lives? The first observation I want to make is one that we've heard over and over again. It's one that you've probably said at some time or another to someone else. And the first observation I want to make is simply by practicing what we fill in the blank. Come on, by practicing what we, by practicing what we preach, by practicing that which we proclaim to be true, by practicing that what we profess to. Right here in verses number 18, it says, he has anointed me. And so here is Jesus reading from uh, the scroll that was prophesied by Isaiah. And he said, I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the one that the Lord, that Yahweh has been promising for generations. And he has anointed me. And then he says something that changes everything. He says, he has anointed me not to overthrow the Roman in government. He hasn't anointed me to put the Jewish people back on top. It wasn't that we can get back the land that we lost, the rights that we lost. No, he says he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So I am on mission to be proclaiming that which is good, to be bringing peace, to be bringing shalom, to be bringing hope, to be bringing health, to be bringing healing. He says he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. So here he's specifically saying that God has sent me to go out and target those who are the most vulnerable among us. Those who have been forgotten, those who don't have a voice, those who don't have adequate resources. But God has sent this Jesus to come, this historical Jesus to come. He sent him to come and proclaim good news to the poor and to liberate those who were oppressed. Give sight to the blind physically and spiritually. And then he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That would have been just such good news for that early audience. Because that year of Jubilee would have been this reminder of the time when everything that was lost was returned. When debts were forgiven. 
when lives were changed, generational curses were broken, where people were forgiven, relationships were restored. And he's saying, this is what I came. And if this is the Jesus that we follow, this is the Jesus that we profess. If this is the Jesus that we say is our Lord and our Savior and our allegiance is to him and him alone, then if we are going to be faithful in our imperfect, perfected following of Jesus, we have to take seriously the call to Practice what we It is Gandhi who says, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Isn't that true what the world is saying? For those of us who have adult children and family that is, uh, have, have left and walked away from the church or have walked away from the faith, isn't that what they're saying? Isn't that what your neighbor is saying? Your coworker is saying? They're saying, Jesus is cool, but I don't want to rock with y'all Christians. Y'all hypocritical, y'all phony, y'all liars, y'all cheaters, y'all eat too much, y'all drink too much, y'all addicted to porn, y'all committing adultery, y'all cheating, y'all racist, y'all sexist, y'all homophobic. Fill in the blank. I bet pause for a second and give y'all just a little freedom. Somebody might want to say amen or ouch, I don't know, something. And I know you're hearing a person who's professing to be a Christian saying this, and you're probably, if you've been struggling with the church and you've been struggling with your faith and you've been struggling with the hypocrisy and you don't know how much longer you're going to be able to take it, and you're probably saying, but we've heard all of these conversations before, and when the rubber hits the road, you're going to clearly prioritize power over people, especially poor and oppressed people, people of color, people that lack influence, people that lack access. And you're saying, we've heard you say this before. We've heard the church say this before. Or you might be on the other side of that conversation. You may say, but what about all the good that Christians do? What about all of the hospitals? The schools, the wells we've dug, the the medication, the clinics, the hospitals, the lives we've changed. And it is true. Still today, Christians are the most charitable people in the world. Come on, we can give God some praise for that. Because Christians are still the most charitable people in the world. And I understand that. But all I'm asking you to do and for myself to do is just to take another look. Be open to the critique of the other to be willing to listen to how they may be feeling, why they are offended, why they feel left out, why they feel the way they feel. And hopefully they will be willing to take another look, another look at this Jesus, another look at this Savior, another look at the one who died for us, another look at the creator and sustainer of the universe who took on flesh so that he could be with us. Maybe I'll take another look at him and see that this Jesus is a Jesus that is worth following.
But not only do we look at that one observation of practicing what we preach, that's very important. I'm glad I was able to take that time to explain that a little bit. But we also need to be doing something else. I think it's clear in the text as well. And we need to not only be practicing what we preach, but we also need to be placing, valuing relationships over results. Because when you get people that come together that otherwise wouldn't be together, when you get people to come to a table, come to a, to, to, to a worship experience, to, to come and explore relationships with one another that ordinarily wouldn't do so, that may vote differently, that may, that may dress differently, that may think differently, that may look like different types of art, music, whatever. When you invite them to come to the table, it takes a little bit longer it is not as convenient and it is not e- the easiest way to get results. And so it's easy for us to punt that in order to pursue results. But we need to see Jesus did not place results over relationships. As a matter of fact, he came in order to restore our relationships, our relationship with him. And he came to restore our relationships with one another. He came to break down the dividing wall of hostility where we are no longer seeing each other only as other, but we're seeing each other as one another's brothers and sisters because of the blood of Jesus. As we wrap up our time, because I'm running out of time, as we wrap up our time tonight, I want to just give us just a few ways that we should be thinking about how we can be practicing what we preach and how we can be valuing relationships over and above results. And I'm giving you these recommendations, not as a list. If you do these things, God's going to love you more. He's going to bless you more. He's going to open up the windows of heaven. I'm not telling you if you don't do these things, God's going to condemn you and you're always going to struggle. I'm telling you, these are just some ways we ought to consider of helping each other hold ourselves and each other accountable Monday through Saturday when we're doing life away from gathered worship. When we have to show up for our spouses in hard conversations when we have to show up at work during tough weeks, we have to show up at school and things aren't going so well. How do we close this Monday through Saturday gap? And how do we apply that which we learn about this Jesus whom we profess to be our Lord and Savior? How does he help us in day to day? And these are a few things I want to talk about. The first thing I want to, to tell us tonight is to acknowledge Something. Acknowledge that this is hard work. Gospel priorities that include breaking down lines that normally divide people is hard work. I thought I'd get a name in there. Because it's hard work and we need to just acknowledge that, just name that, just name that sometimes I don't know if it's 
even worth it. It would be so much easier if we didn't have to have these conversations over and over again. And can we just acknowledge that? Acknowledge that it's painful. Acknowledge that it's embarrassing. Acknowledge that it makes us oftentimes feel shame and guilt, even if that is not the intent of the other that we're engaging with. But we need to acknowledge that it's challenging. How can we embrace Jesus' teaching and reflect his character? It's also through self-reflection. Pastor George just mentioned it, that self-awareness, that looking internally, that starting with you in every conflict, in every disagreement, And every time you're rubbed the wrong way, start with you. Self-reflect, self-examine, and self-aware. And then finally, what I want to say is that we need to do this together in community. This is not something that we can do alone. The work that Second is doing right here in Memphis is an encouragement to the work, the hard work we're doing in Ferguson, Missouri. When we know that second is willing to put in the hard work and they're willing to take risks in order to pursue gospel priorities, it makes our job easier. And it gives us, we're just beginning in this journey, hope. And so just be encouraged and and be reminded that we are better together and we need each other. Let me close our time in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together with your people. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the ways that you challenge us. Thank you so much for your grace and for your gift of Jesus who was sacrificed as a ransom for many. Lord, I pray that as we continue to move forward in a culture that's polarized and divided, where the world is telling us that we shouldn't be together, who we shouldn't be friends with, who we shouldn't listen to, who we shouldn't read, who we shouldn't follow. Lord, let us be reminded that it is you who is calling us to be together, to be united as one, just as you and our Father was one. Lord, bless us and keep us, empowering us to do the work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.